If you would turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 6 through 9 after a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. Lord, this is a great and miraculous work. Lord, as we look at this passage, Lord, may we see how you wish for us to live, you command us to live, in light of your gospel. Lord, I ask that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and the mind of Christ to know what you are speaking to us. Lord, I ask that you would do this through me. Lord, that it would not be I up here, but it would be you teaching this. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you, a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. The Apostle Paul is addressing the believers in the churches in the region of Galatia. We know that he's not happy with them from his greeting that we saw the last time that we looked in here in the first five verses. And in verses 3 through 5, Paul gives a short summary of the gospel. And it goes as this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Notice, this is not a work of man. There's no mention of man. All of the mention here is God the Father, and Jesus Christ. Man has no contribution in this. It is God's work alone. So much so that in Romans 1.16, we've looked at this before, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I've said it before, and I'll say it one more time again. If you want to see the power of God, look at a saved life. Okay? However, what we're looking at here is not an evangelistic message. Yes, it does address the gospel. But it is impractical in nature on how the Christian is to live their life. Okay? This passage I have here separated into two 
categories. Number one is God's work in the believers, which is the gospel. And number two, the false teachers and their consequences. So to give you an idea of what Paul is trying to address and combat here with the Galatians, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Now we know that Paul started his first missionary journey in Acts 13. And this included Paul spending much of that journey in the region of Galatia. In Acts 14, 26 through 28, Paul is in Antioch which is one of the cities in the Galatian region. And it says that he spent a long time with them because he had an open door to the Gentiles there. So as we look here at Acts chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses to start. And it said, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, Galatians 6.12, Paul is addressing this, and he shows these men who are demanding circumcision. So we continue on. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. So we see that they all wanted this to be a sure thing. They wanted to know for sure whether this was the case, whether circumcision and the law was something that they were supposed to be doing. So they're sending Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. It says, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. We know that Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he knew where they were coming from. He knew the teachings of the Pharisees. He knew who these people were. And he knew that this was a false teaching. He knew that they were so influential, these people, that even Peter got caught up with this. Peter is described in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Paul said that he opposed Peter in this because he went to go eat with the Jews, separating himself from the Gentiles. And it was because of these influential people, the fear of the Jews, that he did this. So these people were very influential. They had high credentials. And they were standing up at the council 
saying that it is necessary to circumcise these Gentiles who knew nothing of this, and it was necessary for them to now observe the law of Moses to be able to be saved. And we continue on here in verse 6. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were all one people now under Christ, which was a huge thing because they all hated each other. And the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't want to have anything to do with the Jews. And they were not accepting of either. The Jews had the word of God. The Gentiles had their pagan gods, their Baals, and the things that they worshipped, Zeus and whatnot. But Peter in Acts 10 had a vision. And we all recall this vision. We can look at it, Acts 10, 9 through 17. He says, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry, and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. So we see Peter is describing that he knows that the Gentiles are to be saved. And we know this because of his vision. The Gentiles came to him, and his interaction with Cornelius was proof of the salvation of the Gentiles to Peter. So we continue on in verse 10. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So we have all of this going on. 
this debate in the Jerusalem council about whether the Gentiles should be circumcised and follow the law of Christ to be able to be saved. And we have the testimony of Peter. We have the testimony of Paul and Barnabas. And we also see the debate from the sect of the Pharisees. So we continue with the conclusion of this debate in verse 13 through 22. It says, After they stopped speaking, James responded, saying, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described how God first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as it is written. And he quotes Amos nine eleven through 12 here. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. And we continue here. This is James. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has those who preach him in every city since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading them among the brothers. We're shown in Acts what Paul is up against here. Okay, He is dealing with the false teaching that came through a sect of the Pharisees. This sect came from Judea, and they're claiming to be teaching the true gospel of Christ. They're coming in behind Paul, and they're proclaiming that, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a quote out of the Acts that we just saw. This is false teaching. And that was confirmed by the testimony of Peter and the judgment of James, who was the head of the Jerusalem Council. And we see that the false teachers in Galatia were also trying to accuse Paul of things. Okay, They were trying to accuse Paul of stripping the gospel to make it more appealing to the Gentiles, removing the works of the law and the work of circumcision. And in this judgment from the council, that negated all of that. That negated all of that. And that gave Paul the assurance that he is definitely preaching the right gospel if he didn't believe he was beforehand. And he recognizes this as the false teaching. And he's very upset with the Galatian churches about it. 
The churches have opened themselves up to error. Again, they've opened themselves up to error. Okay, So Paul establishes the Galatian churches with the true gospel of Christ. He makes this known in Galatians 1, 11 and 12. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here that the gospel he gave to them was not something that he just made up. He didn't just make it up. It was given to him as a revelation from Christ. He also says this about it in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you, who believe the work of the gospel is performed in us who believe we are to live out the gospel. Let me show you something here. That's interesting. I have a comparison and a contrast. We have two letters from Paul wrote to the Thessalonian churches 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And then we have this letter of the Galatians. We can look at the contrast between the two churches according to these letters. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul is very angry because he says they are deserting the gospel of Christ for a different gospel. Verse 7 He says that there is really no other gospel, but what you are accepting is not the gospel. It's not the true gospel. You are accepting of this. It's not something that is recognized as coming from God through the grace of Christ. But look at the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5-8 For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Did you get that? They have no need to say anything. Because these people are living out the Christian life. They are living out the gospel. And they are spreading it to everybody. It says that it came from the Holy Spirit with full conviction to them. And they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord in receiving the word. 
imitators, meaning they were living it out. They were living out what Paul's doing. And as a result, Paul didn't have to go and say anything more. They were taking care of it. They were doing as they were supposed to be as the church. Living out the Christian life. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 5. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. He's writing to him again, and he is praising them again. Your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. They are loving each other. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. These people were suffering for the kingdom of God and yet they were still spreading the gospel. They were still living the life of Christ in them through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Galatians allowed the false teachers and the world to come in and influence. This is in contrast to the Thessalonians. They allowed the false teachers to come in and influence the church. They left themselves open to the influence of the false teachers. And it's shown, Galatians 6.12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want the persecution. The persecution was coming at them from the Jews. The persecution was coming at them from the world. And that statement makes me believe that the Galatians were willing to do whatever it took to end the persecution. Even if it meant abandoning the true gospel to alleviate that persecution from coming from the Jews. Which in turn, if you are willing to accept a false gospel, you render yourself ineffective and that's what they were doing that's what paul is saying they were doing because they were accepting the false gospel they were rendering themselves ineffective if you don't know or accept the true gospel then how are you to spread it like the thessalonians did how are you to spread it and change lives how are you to share it with unbelievers to give them christ The Thessalonians, it says, had influence on the world. They took on the persecution. It says here they were greatly persecuted and they took it on. They suffered. They suffered for the kingdom of God. They weren't afraid of the persecutors. They knew they were on God's side. The world killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. So why should we be afraid of them? Why should we live as we're afraid of the persecution? 
It says, if God is for us, who is against us? Jesus himself said, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We can see the Thessalonians believed this. They were praised greatly by Paul in two letters, not just one, two letters, and probably many more that we don't even have. They lived the way that Paul is trying to get through the head of the Galatians. The life in Christ in light of the gospel that you've been given. And as Christians this day and age, we see this sort of thing going on all around us. All around us. Churches that were founded by great men, Martin Luther, Charles Wesley, we see that they have opened up to the influences of the world. As a matter of fact, the motto of the United Methodist Church is open hearts, open minds, open doors. And it's not saying that they are open to the gospel. They are saying that they are open to the world. They're opening the door to the world. They adopt certain things such as ordaining women, ordaining homosexuals. They've opened themselves to these false teachings and false things of world religions. There's other churches that have done things like removed crosses from their buildings because they're offensive. They don't want the persecution. They're not willing to be persecuted for the truth of Christ. They've accepted what the religious system says that they have to do through ceremonies and works And that is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not how you are to live. We are not to be open to the world influences. In fact, we are told in Romans 12 too, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing. It's an active thing. It's continual. It's not just a one-time act. It means to renovate. Or maybe some of you would understand to remodel. To remodel. It goes on, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to have a renewing of our mind from the conformity of the world to the conformity of Christ. We are not to have an open mind to the things of the world. The world constantly pushes stuff at us. It constantly pushes stuff trying to get into the church. And that is one of the things that is the greatest tool for Satan is these things that he pushes and pushes and pushes. The outside world constantly 
tries to force and contaminate your mind. Just like your house, outside forces come into effect in your house and things deteriorate. They need cleaned. They need renovated to keep it new. And that's what Christ does. He continually renews our mind. Those things you like to shove in the closet and those things you like to let get dirty, Christ comes and pulls them out, cleans them up, and renews it all. It also says our hearts will be guarded by Christ from this world. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? Your heart and your mind will be guarded. It's not to be open. It's to be guarded. The church is not to have a policy of open hearts, open minds, open door to let every little doctrine of the world enter. No, we are to be different. We are called, as God says, to be holy, for I am holy. Because when the church follows down the road that the Galatians are starting down, you end up with the church looking like the world. Paul is trying to cut them off here. As the true teacher of God, it tears his heart out to see what they're doing, to see that they are accepting these systems, these things of the world. He's desperately trying to get their attention so that they don't make themselves ineffective. This road of openness is the way of Satan, as I said before. Satan will bring everything he can to try to disqualify those who are effective to spread the gospel. Persecution and division are some of the most effective tools that he has. Under persecution, the weak will cave in and there will be division in the church. And the and where there is not unity, we see what is described in Ephesians 4.14. And this is speaking of the result of unity. It says, as a result, the result of unity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Unity. Unity in Christ is what keeps us from being children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. The unity of Christ in the church is what keeps us out of this, out of the acceptance of the things of the world. And it guards our hearts and our minds. And it makes us effective 
in the ministry. That's what church is for. The church is for the equipping of the saints to do the great commission of Christ. To go out and preach the gospel to all the world. And then to make disciples. The church is for the edification of those of us so that we can be empowered and encouraged to go do that work. We are to live the gospel. This is the practical life of the Christian we're talking about. This is about the soul that lives in eternity, whether it is an eternity of hell and judgment and damnation or an eternity with Christ. And if you can't or won't give the true gospel, then you have rendered yourself ineffective and useless. Now we know everyone who is truly saved this day, you recognized who saved you. You recognized how you were saved, when you were saved, and the message of your salvation. And we are to be unified in that. We are not to deviate from that as we live our lives. Our lives are to reflect that gospel, that true gospel. In light of that, we are to follow the instruction of Paul in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Do you get that? Anybody who's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them. Restore them. Come to them. Say, you are not doing, you are not living how you are supposed to. And do it in gentleness. And you will fulfill the law of Christ. And we are to bear one another's burdens. That's why we meet. That's why we are not to forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. We meet as the church for the strengthening of each other so that we build everyone up to do the work of Christ in the world. That unity is the true gospel of Christ lived out by the church. And it is the way we keep the false out. We keep the false gospel out of the church. And it is the way that we spread the pure gospel of Christ to influence the world as the Thessalonians did. If we don't live in the power of Christ that guards our hearts and minds and continually renews our minds, then we open the door to accept and live by a false gospel. 
And in turn, we will not reach the world. We won't. Because we won't give them the truth. They can come into the church that's sharing the false gospel and they can get everything that the world has and they can say, well, now I'm spiritual. Now I'm following what God says because guess what? The church says I am. And I don't have to change. And I don't have to be convicted. That is the false. That is not how we are to live. That is why Paul is so upset with these people. Because they are saved. They became saved by the true gospel. The true gospel. And yet, what are they doing? It doesn't say they've completely gone down this path. It says they are deserting him. And when it says they're deserting him, it means they're in the process of doing it. They're in the process of being a deserter. Okay? So, they are going down a road where they will not be effective as a church. And it says in Second Thessalonians, again, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each of you toward one another grows ever greater, that is how we are to live. That is what we are to look like in the gospel. When we are united in the gospel of Christ, our love grows greater towards one another. And when that is accomplished, we will reach the world by how we live by the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you gave men like Paul to show us these things, to show us the error and to show us the truth. And Lord, as we look next week at the false teachers and their damnation, Lord, I ask that we would reflect on ourselves this week and that we would look to see how we are living. We would constantly evaluate ourselves and we would look to you for the renewing of our minds and the guarding of our hearts and minds so that we do not succumb to the influence of the world and that we can be effective in your ministry. Thank you, Lord. Amen.